You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. What's up? Good morning. It's Thursday, May 21st, and you're listening to the College Football Daily. My name is Trey Scott. I'm joined today by two people, Brandon Marcello and Chris Hummer, National College Football Writers for 24-7 Sports. Guys, I'll just be totally up front. I was just going to do something with Brandon today on conferences and, and their quarterback situation, but sometimes you get lucky, and we had some big-time breaking news roll in right before Brandon and I were about to record, and so I figured let's let's throw Chris into the mix too. I'll introduce the news, and then let's all talk about it. According to Yahoo Sports' Pete Thamel, the NCAA Division I Council has voted to approve voluntary athletic activities in football, men's basketball, and women's basketball beginning on June 1st and going through June 30th. This is seismic. This is news that in our Slack channel at 24-7 Sports, everyone's freaking out about because it looks like this is our first step toward the return of a football season. Brandon Marcello, let me ask you, is this as big of news as we think it is? You know, it was uh, it was somewhat expected. You know, this kind of started moving a little bit about a week and a half, two weeks ago, that the NCAA would kind of move forward with providing these guidelines of, all right, it's up to the conferences now, but you were lifting this moratorium that was set to expire May 31st where no student athletes were allowed on campus. Now you can have some voluntary workouts. Players are not required to be on campus. You can't work with footballs. There's got to be some limitations of what you can do in the weight room as far as social distancing and things of that sort. But um, expected Still huge news um, that we're these are the first steps toward getting to a football season and for that matter, even getting to a basketball season. But now this doesn't mean that every conference and every school is going to follow suit on June 1st. This just allows conferences now to decide what to do on their own. For example, the Big 12, I talked to Big 12 Commissioner Bob Bowlesby. He told me no matter what the NCAA does with the June 1st date, which was expected at that time to be voted and approved, the Big 12 probably wasn't going to open things up till maybe mid or late June, but he doesn't quite know yet. That's up to the chancellors and their board. The SEC is probably going to be the first major conference to open things back up and allow people to come back on campus. They will vote Friday on whether to go with June 1st or June 15th, according to sources I've spoken to. But I've also been told that those aren't the two dates that they're limited to in this potential vote they're going to have. Or actually, I should say a vote. They are going to vote. I've been told that any day is on the table. They could decide June 2nd, 3rd, 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th, or 8th. But the feeling is is that they're going to be returning very soon to campuses in the SEC and will potentially be the first major conference or at least one of two, uh, to return and follow these NCAA guidelines almost to the T uh, on potentially returning June 1st. Brandon, I'm going to toss it right back to you. Uh, Chris, stay on, stay on hold. Uh, I want to confirm that with Brandon. So you, just, just to 
again, confirm and, and emphasize the point. This does not necessarily mean everybody all at once on June 1st is coming back. No, absolutely not. And, and you know, the PAC, for example, the PAC-12, in a lot of ways, and from talking to people out there, they're on a much different time schedule. And, and that's because, listen, the coronavirus, this novel coronavirus, is affecting areas of the country differently. We all know that. Uh, we know a week or two ago when the governor of Oregon was saying, hey, we're not, I, I don't think we should have any large gatherings of any sort, including at football games through at least September, which everybody freaked out about and said, oh my goodness, you know, Oregon, Oregon State, and all those programs are going to be unable to start their seasons on time, which would then affect any non-conference games and of course, uh, Pac-12 games. But the key here is that conferences are in agreement with this. They're not in all in agreement in June 1st. Um, let's be clear about that. They are in agreement that if we're going to start the season on time, which is what they all want to do, none of them are saying, hey, let's not, let's not aim for that. That's what they're aiming for. But to do that, players have to begin mandatory workouts by at least July 15th. So what you're going to see here from that, from June 1st through July 15th is a slow progression of conferences saying we're coming back for voluntary workouts, but we're not requiring people to come on, come back to campus, but we're aiming for July 15th to have a six week period here where we're going to have a couple of weeks of some workouts and mandatory stuff. And then we'll start our preseason camp, usually about the time of August 1st, like everybody does. But like I said, I think this is going to be a, a phase, phasing in process for a lot of conferences and not just the Power Five, the smaller conferences as well. And it's all going to depend on local guidelines, state guidelines, and what the health officials are saying there. And of course, the Big 12, the SEC, the Pac-12, the ACC, they're going to listen to their health officials they're, they've formed their own boards of sorts to kind of give an idea of what's happening on their campuses and in their cities that they're based in. And then from there, they'll decide when to allow these voluntary workouts to return. Hmm. Chris Hummer, what's going on, man? What is your concern level here with the, the voluntary? I know that's how it happens in the summer anyway, but especially the enforcement of a voluntary summer workout at a time where kids are all across the country. Some kids are coming from different situations. Some kids might be a little bit worried about returning to campus. Yeah, the word voluntary there is interesting. The NCAA certainly states it that way, and um, uh, administrators want you to think that is the case. But I think those of us around the college football industry know the word voluntary isn't necessarily what it means. Um, it is highly suggested that you're on campus, and if you are not there, a lot of times in these situations, you will fall on the depth chart. You will fall out of favor with your coaching staffs. And those things can happen very quickly. And I'm very curious moving forward to see how players will respond in terms of reporting. A lot of them are eager to get back on campus. I can guarantee you that a lot of these guys just want to play. They want to have a little bit of a return to normalcy. They want to be able to work out. But this is going to be a situation in which there's already going to be a really staggered return to campus. And there will be a few situations nationally and probably for every team where not only are players hesitant to come back, parents are hesitant to come back. And it'll be really interesting to see how coaches and kind of the administration responds to this and tries to assuage some of the fears that kind of come with this. And every, obviously everybody's buying up all the PRL, hand sanitizer they can. 
gloves to kind of protect them. They're going to try to socially distance as much as possible in the weight room. But when it comes down to it, testing currently is still really expensive. Um, a test could be like a hundred dollars, a kind of a pop for schools. And earlier today, Bob Bowlesby was saying they want players once the season gets going to be tested two or three times a day. Those expenses are going to kind of uh, pile up really quickly for athletic departments. So all of that factors in and it's going to be really compelling to see what situations arise kind of from this. And plus like colleges need these kids back on campus. I think you're going to find in the next couple of weeks, you're going to see a lot of reports about players being really out of shape. And if there's hesitancy and kind of people are coming from behind in different parts of the country, let's say the PAC 12 opens up in late uh, June instead of early June, like the SEC, you're going to see a lot of uh, concerns about competition and kind of the quality of that um, moving forward between the SEC and maybe some other conferences that go later. I talked to an ACC coach earlier today. He was like, we'll be back in June. I just have no idea when. And he was kind of eyeing the SEC returning uh, potentially in like a week and a half and saying that was a little unfair. So like this could, this could snowball in a lot of different directions in terms of um, uh, the process moving forward. Brandon, what's the infrastructure like for a college campus or, or a university, I guess, to, to, to welcome these kids back? So the, the football programs or the conference says, all right, uh, Oklahoma's coming back. And d- does that mean that the university, the, the dorms roar back to life and we get the support staff all going on there too? No, I, those are going to be separate decisions, and those will be up to the individual universities it's, itself. I, you know, I've got to be clear here, and I think everybody understands this, that you know, the NCAA made this decision. Now it'll be up to the conferences, and then after that it'll be up to the schools of when they allow people on campus. So, for example, the, the Big 12, let's just say throw a hypothetical out. They said June 15th, we're going to allow voluntary workouts. Well, Oklahoma might follow that, but Texas might go, we're going to wait a little bit longer because we're having some issues with a lot of our student athletes in some hot zones. So we're going to maybe do July 1st. So we'll have a two-week period before we try to do that drop-dead day of July 15th of mandatory workouts. So from the athletic side, that's what's going to happen. Schools are going to return in different in different times, even if their conferences say so. So as I said, that's like a three-tier situation. Just because the NCAA says something doesn't mean it's going to happen. It's going to have to be then approved by the universities, and then after that, the schools will decide whether to follow follow that. Now, as far as the academic side, allowing students just to return in mass, the earliest that's going to happen, I think, anywhere uh, in any of these major conferences is going to be the typical time there in early to mid August when the fall semester is about to kick up. Everybody's pretty much cut, you know, shut down through the summer. Um, and that's a completely separate decision, but it's one that will affect the athletes because what if a lot of, a lot of these students return and then two weeks into it, say mid August, because they'll be on campus going through rush and, and orientations and all that before classes even start. What if there's an outbreak on campus? How does that affect things? This is, this is going to be a situation where schools individually, then conferences for the, uh, after that, are going to have to adjust on the fly as things change. They're going to have to kind of dance with this thing. And I, I, I don't think anybody can correctly predict what's going to happen because we don't know what's going to happen 
But what I do know is this, the dates are going to be staggered. They're going to be all over the board. So keep that in mind. June 1st is the earliest people can return. I think a lot of people will use that date as a date to return. But after that, how does that affect things as far as student, student athletes and then also students returning? We'll, we'll see. That's up to the universities and um, you know, their own board of trustees on the academic side. New CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. How you survive, you make quick, smart decisions. If you never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. I'll open this up and we can kind of chime in. Are we surprised that, I mean, guys, I guess time moves really slow during a quarantine, but I've had conversations with each of you in the last few weeks in which we've said, hey, what's the latest that this can all happen? And Brandon, not not losing sight of the point you keep making that this this, this does not mean that everyone comes back tomorrow or June 1st, but it does feel like this is speeding along quicker than we thought because we have spent the last two months saying, well, can they come back July 15th and can, can we get that in by September 1st, yada, yada. Does it feel like everything's going in place quickly enough to have an on-time start to the college football season? Anyone? I mean, I think what we're seeing is a reflection of what's happening in the economy. It's not just college athletics. We're seeing... I don't want to say people being patient, but we're seeing a need to open things up and kind of provide a window for people to kind of make their livings and for athletic departments to survive. And I, there's no guarantees as Brandon said, like this is totally determined by something that people have no authority over or have no say over what's going to happen. You can't control an outbreak. You're kind of at the whim of the government and the virus itself. If you're an athletic department or even a university, But what we're seeing is a severe desire for the season to start on time or close to on time and for like a significant desire to have that revenue be generated in any way possible. And right now, as we see economies open up throughout the country, largely without issue, and I mean, that needs to be clarified in that we're still seeing many cases a day, but for the most part, the numbers are dropping nationally. Uh, on a percentage basis. And with that happening, it makes sense that colleges are going to take the chance to push forward with this as the rest of the economy does. I think it's just the natural progression. My, 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 my big question with all this, and I've talked with an infectious disease expert. I've talked with commissioners. I've talked with, with coaches across the country is how do individual programs handle testing uh, for their players to make sure that they are remaining healthy and not infectious or are they asymptomatic and are spreading potentially this virus. And what it's going to take is testing uh, multiple times a week on every single athlete. And when that happens, you're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, being spent on that. And I'm not sure smaller conferences are going to be able to do that and keep up with that. Just my opinion. Secondly, is the testing available? Um, I was speaking to Dr. Michael Sag, an infectious disease expert who's working with the University of Alabama uh, to put some protocols in place. And, you know, he said that this is a situation where 
rapidly we're seeing different tests being developed and the easiest way for them to kind of be able to do this and do this quickly without it being so invasive because the current testing as we've seen you guys have seen the videos and everything it's a swab that goes into your nose and it goes deep in there and it's not comfortable at all and the testing can take days to return well there's some other testings like saliva testing that's one either been developed or they're developing and improving upon right now that can give you a return result in 15 to 30 minutes. So literally, you can line up some players, test them, and let them know before practice, hey, you're fine, go out there. But how much money does that cost? It's going to cost hundreds of thousands of dollars to do that throughout the season. And then my other question to that is, can they develop the tests and provide them enough of them to be able to do that? Because you're talking, we're not just talking about 85 scholarship athletes. We're talking about 100, 100, 105 players on a roster, plus all the support staff they're around, plus all of the athletic administration, plus the, the 10 assistant coaches and the head coach, the graduate assistant support staff. That's a lot of testing being going on. And how do you get that done and, and do so cheaply? There's no way to do that. It, this is going to cost a lot of money, and it needs to be done, obviously. But there's a lot of things going into this that I think are getting lost in the cracks. And that's this is going to be a monumental task just to give players the peace of mind of, hey, we're testing you, we're protecting you, we're doing this as safely as possible. Talking about testing, and we need answers on that soon and we also need answers on what happens when you get a positive test back because let's not be naive enough to act like that's not going to happen at some point over the summer or, or i mean heck when, even when we start playing I, I know that's far down the road but we've seen mlb and, and nba and soccer proposals of well there'd be a quarantine and all that matter i, I kind of want to see that come from college football as well and there's there's no czar you guys both wrote about People say there needs to be a college football czar or some over-the-top decision maker putting that stuff all into place because I'm so waiting for the voice of reason or a voice of, of you know monumental importance to to speak to what happens when all this when all this starts to go down. Yeah, there just isn't what someone, and and I think a lot of people turn to the NCAA and think, hey, maybe Mark Emmert will step up. The problem is. His power has been undermined in so many ways. Not necessarily undermined, but his voice just isn't as important to these conference commissioners as it has been in the past because the NCAA is pretty toothless in a lot of areas other than enforcement. And even in enforcement, because of their enforcement staff size and the things that have slipped through the cracks or the way they have been so inconsistent in ruling on things, it's hurt their credibility with the Power Five, the Autonomy Five. So you add that all together – and no one's really looking to the NCAA for a complete guidance here. There's going to have to be some type of shakeup, a, a change in the power structure uh, in college football. And that started several years ago with the Autonomy Five. That's why today, every day during this pandemic, the Power Five conferences, their commissioners have been having discussions about the future and trying to be on the same page. Not all the conferences are doing that. You know, the smaller conferences are not in on those calls. It's because of that new Autonomy 5 that was allowed by the NCAA to do that. Meanwhile, the NCAA is just kind of sitting back. I think the biggest thing that, uh, when it comes to just how toothless Mark Emmert 
is in this whole situation to me as a, as a, as a media member, the man doesn't do any media interviews because, and everything is prepared for him. He does these in-house interviews with Andy Katz, who I love, but he works for the NCAA. They're all prepared questions or things he's expecting. He's not going to be caught off guard with anything. He's not going to be challenged and he's living in a bubble. And that bubble does not include any of the other conference commissioners. He has no power. There's going to have to be a change in the power structure. Ooh, heat. Brandon Marcello with some heat. Chris, I'll throw to you and then we'll kind of wrap this up. And Brandon, if Chris, I don't know the answer. So I'm going to ask Chris. And if he doesn't know, we're going to come back to you. But what is with the, the June 30th date? What's like, what, what's the window here? Is this a, this just a, a is it just a window? Is there some sort of fail safe at this point? Uh, what is this? Brandon might know better than me. I assume it's just a kind of manufactured date the NCAA put in place to be able to change the rules at a later point if needed. The next real date on the calendar normally for college football, they have off season now, which has restrictions in terms of hours you're allowed to participate on campus. Um, the next kind of real important date would have been the lead up to fall camp where they can kind of ramp up activities with 29 spring practices uh, ahead of fall camp. But the June 30th date seems kind of manufactured to me. Brandon, I know a little bit better. Yeah, I, I think, listen, you know, the, the, a lot of these dates, especially when they go on, hey, through June 30th, or this is the kind of date, those are all very flexible. And, I, and that we've seen that no matter what the situation and what exactly they're pertaining to. We've seen that with May 30th, May 15th. May 1st, April 30th or whatever, as far as drop, not drop dead dates, but uh, dates in which these moratoriums and things potentially end. And, you know, with this eight hour rule, certainly that's changing uh, as far as contact with players once they get back to voluntary workouts. But I I think what's going to be interesting from all of this, just real quick, I I know I'm long winded, is that. Um, when these players are allowed to return to campus voluntarily, how many actually do return? Because as you guys said, it's always like it says voluntary, but it feels mandatory. I think the powers in the, in the, in the hands of the players a little bit more now because of this virus, some of them might not return uh, on those dates because they don't feel safe with it or they're in a hot zone of their own and they d- might have to be quarantined for 14 days once they reach camp to campus. This is an v- extremely complex issue. And I think it's one that's going to take some, some time to kind of navigate once we get to this. But by far, this is huge news. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's finally a sign of light for college football that we've all been wanting to see and all talking about. Now it's can we get through this and limit the damage? Because as Bob Bowlesby, the Big 12 commissioner, told me, there are going to be outbreaks on campuses somewhere players are going to get infected. It's just the way the world is right now. It's a matter of how we react to that. Because as we saw back in March, an NBA game, a player tests positive for the coronavirus, and it shut everything down. It put a face to this virus. Obviously, we've had a couple, few months to to kind of go through all this with quarantines and lockdowns and stay-at-home orders. But are we really ready to face the harsh reality of, say, in mid-July and then in August or even when the season starts, of getting reports every day of four players are infected, 
12 players are infected. This team has 15 players infected. Are they going to play? What's their health like? It's, it's going to, it's, but hopefully, I'll say this just to end this. Hopefully, we can mitigate that with these testing, you know, and disinfecting of locker rooms and everything. But it's not foolproof. It, there's no way to completely be safe from this virus other than being in a room by yourself. There's just no way around it. No, you're right. This is good stuff from both of you guys. It's this is a great step in in the right direction. Still have a lot of questions, more questions than answers. Need testing. Need a plan of action. And Brandon, as you said, it's it's up to the conferences now. And then and then we're going to see on a school to school basis what sort of level of staggering is there then. And then on a player to player basis, what sort of level of staggering then. And then of course this is all voluntary uh, to wrap that up. So it's a, a ton. To track i appreciate both of you guys jumping on to the smartest guys at 24 7 sports helping me to wade through this that's going to do it for today's episode of the college football daily please leave us a five-star rating or a review on apple Podcasts for brandon marcello for chris hummer for producer tawny levitt i'm trey scott we will see you on friday for the next edition of the college football daily